when we get ourselves into a place where we have so much inside of our identity, it becomes chaotic and overwhelming. It becomes like a cluttered house. And you just get like into this crisis of like, there's so many competing things within my identity. Now, I don't even know what I believe I am. Now, I don't even know who I am. Now, I don't even know what my life is worth. And you start to develop this identity crisis, which is a very real thing. People call it a midlife crisis, but it can happen all throughout life where you really start to second guess and you question like, who are you? What is your life even worth? And you start to basically kind of contemplate these really, really hard things. And I think we're living in a time and a place with endless self-help books that have made us believe that we have to fill our identity with too many things. And we're overwhelmed. And instead of things just being a part of being human, like eating healthy foods, like moving our bodies, like working, now we've just let them seep into the deepest places and define our very being. And we give power to things that have no power. This is the Made for Living Well podcast, hosted by Alexa Sherm, the place to create a life well-lived. living well. Not to like create a self-idol out of yourself, but to recognize that there's a purpose within you that needs to be lived out. And as Timothy Keller so famously states, the goal of life is not to think less of yourself or to think more of yourself. It's just to think of yourself less. And sometimes I dream of what the world would look like if we all just thought of ourselves less and we really just embraced the living. Now, today on the podcast, we're going to talk a little bit more about this. Well, a lot a bit more about this and understanding what it looks like to like yourself, not in a selfish, self-serving, self-worshipping kind of way, but truly what self-love is supposed to reflect and how you can live that out in your life. Now, I've invited my husband on because it's the podcast of the month as we follow along the challenges inside the Nourish Planner and April just happens to be the month talking more about how do you like yourself. So Peyton comes on to discuss this more with me and also to share more of our story of why this topic is important. Now, as always, there's more information about this podcast over at thelivingwell.com. And while you're there, check out the email list called The Weekly Fill. If you love the podcast, you're going to like the email list where I share a deeper connection with you and also open the door to a new perspective in health. You can find all of that at thelivingwell.com. Okay, let's just dig right into today's show. Welcome to the podcast, Peyton. Hey, thanks for having me on. (laughs) Wow, you changed it up. I did. take number three. Yeah, (laughs) it just came to me in the moment. Who knew this podcast topic was going to be so hard for me to talk about in a simplistic way? Isn't that been most of our conversations, though? They're just getting deeper and deeper. I feel like this is a preview that people can have of just a normal daily occurrence at our house. Alexa having conversations that just tend to get deeper and deeper. And then I sit there with a blank stare looking at her, hence recording this again, because I was just blank stare. And she's like, okay, you're not following me. Let's redo this. (laughs) 
It's just because I like to go to the deep places because I think a lot of the things that we deal with in our life and things that are so hard and don't tend to make sense or don't work and why so many people struggle. Like, I can't help but think this is not the intended way of life. Like, our way of life should not be to live for health. Our way of life should not be to seek out love and other things. Like, we make life so complicated, I think partially because we have just a bad understanding, not because of us, but because of the definitions of the world and the distortion of the world, that it makes things impossible. And so I want to go to the deep places because I think we're so close to the truth, but it's just distorted enough that it's hard to see that it's actually not true. And I think a lot of love deals with that. I think you should rephrase that to say it makes it feel impossible. Right. But no, I'm just saying that definitely it's not it's not impossible, but it definitely makes you it makes it feel impossible because the quote unquote goalpost is constantly moving. Like the expectations are constantly changing. Like, you know, what's what's in today is out tomorrow. And, you know, all these new self-love and self-care things are constantly changing. Like there's a few that stay consistent, but everything's always changing. The diet industry is changing. The self-care industry is always changing. And it's always following new products or new ideas or all of these different things. And I think one of the key things coming out of this conversation um, that hopefully people can get is how do we get beyond that and focus on the true underneath root to understand how do you love yourself without getting trapped behind all of these external expectations. Right. And I think it takes redefining what love is or looking at it in a new way. Because as Brené Brown states, like the near enemy of love are things like control. And that is, it feels like if I can control my life in some way, that I can achieve love or that is love. If I can control this person in some way, that is love. But that's actually the opposite of love. That's that's a form of hate. Um, and I think a lot of the things that we do, we mask self-hate and self-care and call it self-love. And And what I mean by that is I think we're so distorted in our idea and understanding of what love is and what self-love is, is that nothing really feels right. And so we start to mask all of this self-hate because we don't want to call it that. We don't want to hate ourselves. And so we call it good things, but we're really never achieving that state of self-love that we're looking for. But this is also tricky because you have two camps of people. You have the camp of people who are like all about like the self-idolization and like the self-worship and are all in on self-love in that form. And then you have people who are like, but self-love is selfish and it's uh, anti-Christian and we should not love ourselves. And I think honestly, both sides are wrong. Like, I, I don't think that there is anything beneficial on either side of that spectrum because I don't think the end goal of life, and even when we talk about this in a spiritual sense, because it is very faith based and spiritual, is like we were not intended to be anything other than love. Like, we were birthed out of love, we were formed from love, and we, um, you know, people who have Christ in their hearts are in the embodiment of love and therefore should love. And that doesn't mean you can just only love other people because I don't think you can actually love anything else without loving yourself. You might feel like you do, but are you just doing it in a way that's a near enemy to actually being love? 
We're just going right there. This is this is going too too deep, too fast. And this is the problem and why we're on take three because I just can't help myself. So bring it back. Bring it back. Well, circle it, circle can the way you, can you Can you provide an example of just something that people tend to do that is a form of self-hate kind of masked in that self-love? I mean, I think the whole self-care nation, and I'm I'm really for caring for yourselves. But I think sometimes we're trying to find an answer, like even the health space, right? Like, let's just look at health in general, because a lot of times health is packaged up in this, this idea that if you can arrive at a destination, like losing weight or looking a certain way or achieving X, Y, and Z, then when you get there, you'll be seen, known, and loved, right? Like the ultimate core of every human being, what we're all looking for is to be seen, known, and loved. That's driving us in all of our decisions. And it's driving you if you have found satisfaction in that, right? Like if you are or do live like you're seen, known, and loved, you're going to live differently than trying to achieve that. But I think what's happened in, in the health space is that we chase health believing that it's almost going to fix us or make us more loved. And that leads us to do all of these things that we think are healthy, but when they're done in the wrong way, we're actually having the opposite effect on our entire being. It's kind of like leading you astray without ever arriving, which makes you more frustrated, overwhelmed, fatigued, depressed, hopeless than when you started. What's something in your life that fits that? Like, like my chase, like what am I chasing? Yeah. I mean, you, you explained it very well, but let's get practical. Like in your life, what is something that you, you have done that when you look back on it, you were like, yes, it seemed like in the midst of doing that, I was doing something that was self-care or self-love when in reality it was not out of that. It was out of self-hate. Yeah. I think this is a hard question because it's a lot of the things that I still do, but it's just a different motivation. And that's where I think I'm trying to get to is how, how do we, how do we get to that place of understanding? Yeah, Cause I think it'd be really easy to call like one thing out and say like, you know, oh, this is something that is easily masked in self-hate. Um, but it's, can you help me or help the listeners also understand like what is an example of one of those things? What was your mindset before and how has that changed so that you know we can kind of get into the differences in understanding that? I mean, I think one of the big things I did was working out all the time. And I started a gym partially because I've one, I wanted to help save people from themselves. Like I wanted to save people from the health space, from the the insecurities and the self-hate. And I thought that the way to do that was to help make them skinny, like to get them fit. Then I thought all of their problems would go away, mine included. And so the goal of the gym was to get people skinny, but I called it healthy you know, like to get you healthy, but really it was to get you to a place where you felt like you were enough, like where you felt like you belonged, where you felt confident. And um, it's why I went into the health space. It's why I went into nutrition. Like I thought that I could save the world of the things that 
made them hate themselves. And like, I thought if I could help them arrive, I could give them their life. But I know from me and from working with thousands of people, that never happens. It never happens in that way. Because as I wrote in the planner for the topic in April, like no one in the history of the world has ever hated themselves healthy. Hate and health do not go together. And again, this is difficult because we don't always call it hate. But I think one of the things that I recognize was, is that there's this drive to change yourself, right? And there's this drive to be different. And I think that we should all change and want to be different. But when we're doing it because we think the place that we are isn't enough and we um, we think that there's going to be a place where we get more love and we're se- more seen and more known, that's where I think it gets really damaging. And that's where the motivation sh- shifts from doing it because you want to better yourself and doing it because you want to change yourself. It, 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 it is literally the near enemy and they call it the near enemy because it is almost right so close to being accurate that we miss it and we miss it all the time, but it could not be further from the truth. It's like the best lies are the ones that have a good majority of truth in them because it's hard to distinguish. And I think so much of us live here is like, we want to believe we're acting in self-love, but are we like, is it fully an act of self-love or is there a twinge of I'm doing this really to get more attention, to get more approval, to be seen, to be noticed, to achieve some sense of love. Like, are we doing it to climb the ladder? Are we doing it out of already being those things? So would you say the biggest, the biggest or best way to understand this on an individual level is to understand your motivation behind what you're doing? Yeah. But again, I think that's difficult too, because I think a lot of people have a good sense of what the right motivation is. We can say a lot of the right things. We know what to say. And I think it's really hard for us to evaluate that there might be some brokenness in that. And the only reason I say that is because getting healthy, exercising, a lot of the things that we are doing and want to do are things that we should actually do. And maybe a better way to understand this is is this big revelation that I had not long ago about allowing too many things to become part of our identity. And I used to really think that health should be part of your identity. Because technically speaking, what your identity is, is who you are. And who you are is what you live out. It's the things you tell yourself. It's the actions you take. Like it becomes your way of life. Now. That sounds great, right? And that's why I really wanted people to understand that health was not what they do, it's who they are. The problem with that is that, and I was confronted with this very abruptly, is that, and you can defute me anytime because this is like a newer-ish thought in the last six months that I've been pondering and stewing on. The problem with that is as soon as we allow something to become part of our identity, we open up the places of our lives that include shame and guilt, like we hit those really, really deep roots inside of our life. So when health becomes part of your identity or you allow it to be part of your identity or you allow your looks to be part of your identity, like I'm the skinny girl or I'm the fat girl or or whatever, like those are like when you call yourself and you put a label on it, that is part of your identity. So what you label yourself is your identity. 
And what happens in that moment is, is that when something rubs against that, when something tries to alter what you identify with, it's going to touch on, on the guilt and the shame. So like, for instance, if you call yourself the fat girl and then all of a sudden you want to try to diet, well, that diet's rubbing up against the identity that you've called yourself for the last 20 years that you're the fat girl. And all of a sudden it's like, hold up, but that's not who I am. And then it starts to make you feel guilty and shameful almost for doing those things or for falling off the path of doing those things. And really, you just invite guilt and shame to take part in whatever you allow your identity to be. It it easily rears its ugly head. But if it's not part of your identity, then it's just something you do. It doesn't have the emotional context. You just do it because it's the right thing to do. And I like use the example of brushing your teeth. Brushing your teeth is really not part of your identity. It's just part of being human, right? It's like just a human necessity. It's just what you should do because it's the right thing to do. And when you don't brush your teeth, yeah, maybe there's a little bit of guilt, but really at the end of the day, no one's getting wrecked over it. Like no one's like, oh my gosh, I didn't brush my teeth. I'm like, I feel so bad. Like there's so much shame. Like we don't do that because it's not part of our identity, but it is something that most people do because it's the right thing to do. And so we have the moral compass and we have our identity. And I think that we have to be really careful or have to understand what is filling our identity. Because what is filling our identity is ultimately deciding and creating the path of whether you love yourself or you hate yourself. Am I making sense? Yeah, for sure. And I think when we get ourselves into a place where we have so much inside of our identity, it becomes chaotic and overwhelming. It becomes like a cluttered house. And you just get like into this crisis of like, there's so many competing things within my identity. Now, I don't even know what I believe I am. Now, I don't even know who I am. Now, I don't even know what my life is worth. And you start to develop this identity crisis which is a very real thing. People call it a midlife crisis, but it can happen all throughout life where you really start to second guess and you question like, who are you? What is your life even worth? And you start to basically kind of contemplate these really, really hard things. And I think we're living in a time and a place with endless self-help books that have made us believe that we have to fill our identity with too many things. And we're overwhelmed And instead of things just being a part of being human, like eating healthy foods, like moving our bodies, like working, now we've just let them seep into the deepest places and define our very being. And we give power to things that have no power. So really, it's it's allowing all of the things that we do to define us instead of just being things that we do. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's like, how do you, how do you create or how do you live in a situation where you work out just because it's the right thing to do or just because it's something that you enjoy doing without adding that emotional component onto it to say, I need to do this because, or if I do this, then this is the result. It just becomes something that you just do. I mean, I think you have to go back and define because you still have to have an identity. Like human beings were created for dependence. Like we can see this 
in our entirety of our life. Like from coming into this earth, we're dependent on humans to take care of us and to love us and to nurture us and to feed us. And all throughout life, we have, all humans have this internal longing that is this connection. And I think this is why so many people struggle with um, codependence on other people and why there's lots of books and therapy sessions that talk about how to overcome codependence, right? We talk about it in such a negative way. And I think it is like, I don't think that we can, and this is a topic for another day. Did I write a topic about this in the planner? Cause I should have codependence. I don't, I think too, people become codependent on health. Codependence is saying like, I can't survive without you. You're giving me something. It's a conditional relationship that we need. And that's an identity issue because we don't recognize that it's not about living an independent life. We were designed for dependence upon other things and for interdependence. And when we start to grasp that, we start to reshape our identity to recognize that we have a longing. We need it to be filled. But what we choose to fill our identity with, like the one thing that we fill our identity with, not the hundreds of things that we try, what are those very few things that you put in your identity and you allow that to shape everything you do? So when you have that identity of this is who I am, this is what I was called, this is why I was created, this is what my purpose is, like those are the things that you need to understand, then it shapes why you do everything else. It's like, I brush my teeth because I don't want cavities. I want to, I want teeth for the rest of my life. I'm no longer working out to try to achieve a state of love, to try and fix all of my problems and make me look a certain way so that I am loved, which never will happen. That's false confidence. That's not true confidence. But I'm working out because I want to do my purpose. Like I'm doing it because it's the right thing that's going to energize my body so that I can live my purpose here on this earth. And so I think it all comes back to how can you clear yourself of all these fake identities that are really just destroying your life and creating this crisis within you and go back and understand the one true identity that we should be living with? So would you say understanding your purpose is kind of the first step? I mean, yeah, I think like looking at your life to recognize that it's not like the independent life, but you are dependent you're a dependent human that's interdependent on other things. I mean, it really comes back to a spiritual aspect. And like, we cannot deny this in the health space that the spirituality component is massive. It is the flow of energy. It is uh, the driving force in your life and it should be your identity. Like your heart, right? Which could be considered your soul or like that third component of your life. More than your thoughts, your heart is what's driving you to do the things that you do, to make assumptions about what is right and what is wrong. It's also the thing that's deciding what is love and what isn't. And I mean, this is a faith-based podcast too. Like we can't deny this, that we can talk about health all we want, but really at the end of the day, we have to have, and what I want to talk about all summer long is creating the right identity. Because if we can know that God created us with purpose, and he did it without fault. Like he created us in his image. We are image bearers of Christ. Like that has a lot of weight to it, right? Like that changes the game. Like you're not just this faulty human being who's broken. Like, yes, we're all somewhat broken because of sin, but it changes. It should change how you view yourself.
And that is not selfish because ultimately when you change your view of self to be more like God, you shift your focus from worrying so much about yourself to looking more at what he said about you. Like it shifts the focus back to God's good creation. It, it, this conversation is a hundred percent a conversation of the soul. Yeah. And, and I think we can water it down and make it something else. And inside the planner, I don't quite get into the soul. Like I'll water it down um, a little bit. But if we really want to get to the root of it, and if we really want to live in a way that is our purpose, we have to see that we're we're made for something more, and we're made with purpose, on purpose, and we're made in the image of Christ. Which comes back to your identity. Yeah. It's 100% your identity. Yeah. And this is hard for me because, like, I hear people talk about this and, like, oh, your identity should be in Christ. And we hear that all the time. But, like, what does that really practically mean? And I think one of the defaults or defaults, uh, I don't want to say defaults. Like, what's a word? Like, one of the things that religion has missed or is missing is that it feels so external. Like, it feels like another thing you have to do, right? It feels like it's outside of you. When I think we need to understand that it's in us, and it's part of us, and it's how we live that out. Okay, so just to, like, give you an example, and I haven't released this podcast yet, but I'm working on one that gets more into the woman at the well, because I have a blog post about it. It's one of the, actually, the most popular blog posts on the living well, and I'll link it up in the show notes. But I think that is a really good example of what it looks like to shift your identity. Because the woman at the well was a woman that Jesus met along his path on his journey. And, you know, she was coming out midday, which meant she was kind of a disgraced human being. Like she had to have been living with so much shame and so much guilt. And I know that the Christian space likes to twist maybe the narrative of the Bible a little bit when God calls her out to say like, who are you? And he says, you know, you've had five husbands and you're currently living with one, yada, yada, yada. Right. And we often just look at her as like, that is her sin. And we allow that to become her identity. Like in some way, that story was her identity. And it caused her to shift the way that she lived because instead of coming to draw water with all the other women at normal hours of the day when the sun wasn't in full swing, she was coming out alone to be away with people because she was probably in some way disgraced. Like her identity was the shame and the guilt that she lived with. For no other reason than she didn't have a right identity. And I think the whole story was God's way of, or, you know, God's way of showing us how Jesus wants to shape our identity into his truth. Like, it wasn't necessarily to call out her sin. It was to create a new story within her to live out of a new identity. And, like, that's where, like, <laughs> draw from my well and you'll never thirst again, right? Like, he was trying to get her to see that her way of life was driving this unhealthy pattern that left her questioning everything. Where when what he was trying to do was not just bash her for her her identity crisis that she was living in, but give her a way out, like give her a true story that was going to help her to live the fulfilled purpose-given life that she was intended to live, just like all of us. And I, and I like to look at the Bible in that way of like 
God was constantly coming into people's lives and changing their story, changing the narrative of who they thought they were, which most of the time was not like anything that was beneficial, right? Like, and shifting the story, not to disgrace them or to rub on their shame, but in a way to take away the shame so that they could live in the fulfillment of who he created them to be. So really, if we're looking at a good place to start, it would be what would be those areas in your life that cause you to feel shame? Yeah, but that's probably a little, that would be hard for some people who haven't done any work to identify. It could be that, but another way to look at it, if you can't quite identify what's shameful is like, what are the things that you're trying to change about yourself? And I don't want you to hear me say that change is wrong. We 100% of the time should be changing. Like that is life. Life is a constant ebb and flow. It's a constant change. But what are you trying to change about yourself that you hate? (laughs) And, or what are the things that you have a hard time changing that you feel like you just repeat old patterns and you know it's not healthy? Like it, it can go either way, right? And I think understanding that, not to shame you, not to guilt you, not to escape it, but to really start to like infiltrate what that means for you and what that looks like for you helps you to understand the story that you've told yourself. And then it helps you to see like, is that story true? Is it beneficial? Is it driving you on the path that you really want to go? And you can start to see your identity that's been birthed out of that. And I think it's not about accepting those things, but it's using the understanding of those things that you hate to grow out of them. Yeah, right. It's it's a hard thing because it's not necessarily like you're truly accepting them as your way of life, but you're using them to better your life. And I think in, in the planner, maybe I say it better. Let me just read it. Perhaps you've spent most of your life trying to avoid these places or patch them up with self-care tactics. But as long as you mask them, you'll always live out of them, no matter how far and fast you try to run. But the way to love yourself is by understanding the parts you hate. Not to accept them, but to learn from them so that you can grow and become a better version of yourself. When you like yourself, you free yourself from the need to numb by plowing through another bag of chips or punishing yourself through another grueling workout. When you like yourself, taking care of yourself feels good. It becomes something you crave. Get rid of the things you're doing in self-hate, even if they are acts others call self-care, and go back to what you desire, what you need, and what you crave. You can like yourself while still wishing for something better. That's a really key point there. I feel like that is like the underlying motivation, that last sentence, you can like yourself while still wishing for something better, is it's not going back and looking at you know, what are those things that you hate about yourself or what are those things that you dislike or you want to change um, and not setting those as your identity? Like you said, you can call yourself something, but if you continue to do that over and over again, it becomes a part of your identity, which makes it much harder to grow out of that identity. But it's, Mm -hmm. it's finding, you know, where you can like yourself, where you can like yourself do things out of self-love, but not in a way that you're just 
you're just doing it because you think that the act itself will change you. Right. Like not, not saying that like the act of doing something out of quote unquote care, like that act in itself cannot actually change you. It's the motivation behind why you're doing that. That really causes the, the change. Yeah. And I think it's like the state of recognizing like, okay, if my identity is in Christ and we can love because he first loved us, like the only way that we can love is to accept his love. We can start to also see like our humanness inside of that and how imperfect we are. Not again to just like become complacent with that. But I think when we understand and accept our humanness and we can see our faults and like we say, kind of accept the places that you hate instead of like trying to perfect yourself to the level where you almost can become your own God, you use your humanness to relate to the world around you and to truly embody the perfect love. Because I think if we can't recognize our humanness and our sin and our depravity, we don't really recognize why that perfect love is so important in our life. And I think that's where we become like, we get ourselves into this place where we think we can just self-create love in a way. We like worship ourselves, but that never really leads to anywhere good. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that. I think what we have to say is like, this is truly an identity issue. And it's not trying to escape or make yourself perfect but it's trying to recognize the story that you are in embracing the story that you were created to live. And in the process of that, that becomes your driving motivation. And so all these other things are things that you do. Like they don't carry the guilt and the shame, but they're used to better the lives of everyone around you to live out your God-given purpose. And that just becomes, you just do it because it's the right thing to do. And in a way, I don't mean that in just like, oh, like, when I talk to my kids, like, you just got to do it because it's the right thing to do. It's like, you actually crave the right thing. It becomes a motivation for doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I think this, this subject is so hard to even talk about. And I can tell that like both of us are trying to like make sense of it. And I, I feel like it's one of those things that, um, it's hard to instruct. And it's hard to discuss until you go through it. Mm-hmm. And so, so do you think you love yourself? Um, I wouldn't say that. No. Do you disagree? Um. So after we talk about this, what 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 would drive you to understand love in a new way, or what would drive you to actually love yourself? Like, what do you need to do to get there? I think it's a motivation shift. It's it's an identity shift. Yeah. I mean it's like you said like you said before, it's not it's not the and maybe this was in recording one or two of this that you said this, so maybe I'm repeating it, maybe I'm not. Um, but it's it's not that you're doing something different. Like it, it's not like all of a sudden I'm like, "Oh, hey, now I'm going to work out." because I want to change this, this thing about me. It's, I want to work out because it makes me feel good. I want to work out because it's the right thing to do. So it's, it's not necessarily, 
And I think that's the hardest part about this discussion is it's not necessarily changing what you're doing. Like we're not saying you have to stop doing all of these things and go do all of these other things. It's changing the understanding that the things you're doing are not what defines you. It's understanding what it is that defines you and using that to just do the things you're already doing with a different perspective. And I think that's why it's so hard to have this conversation about how, like, how do you instruct somebody how to do this? Because Mm -hmm. it might be that they end up doing the same, like the act that they do is the same thing as what they were doing before. It's changing how they think about the thing that they're doing. Mm -hmm. So a few years ago, I quit health. You know this. Mm -hmm. You live this with me. Yeah. And what's funny about me quitting health is, is that I didn't just automatically go back to just eating endless bowls of fruity pebbles and Tostino's pizza and not working out and, and basically just doing whatever I wanted whenever I wanted. Right. Like, but I'll stop you there because even if you did do those things, you didn't hate yourself because of it. And that's the mindset shift I think you're trying to get to in this is that you're not saying those things are wrong. It's. But why did I quit health? Because I hated who I was when I was trying to achieve health. Yes. And it wasn't the act of whether you were eating something super healthy or something that was unhealthy. It wasn't like that wasn't what defined those things. It was trying to define the identity of I'm healthy. And as soon as you eliminated that, that identity in quote unquote health and whatever it was for you at that time, as soon as you eliminated that, like you're saying, it didn't matter necessarily what you ate or what you did. Like, does it? Yes. At the end of the day, it does matter, but you didn't beat yourself up if you ate something that you enjoyed that may have been quote unquote unhealthy. Right. And that's, and that's really the identity shift that you had when you quit health. Right. I didn't know it though. When I quit health, I had no idea that's what would have come from this, right? Pre-quitting health, I had so much guilt and shame. I was truly the person who was trying to find acceptance and love through the way that I looked and through helping other people look a certain way. Of course, I package it into health because that's what we all do because it sounds more acceptable. But I was letting that old narrative like run my life. And I literally got to the point where one, it stopped working. I got super sick. But even years after I was healing, it, it I didn't come to this realization that I was going to quit health. Until morning morning, I was like, I hate my life and I hate who I am inside this life. Like I just want to enjoy life. And I thought I was missing everything about what I was really created for. And so I quit health, not knowing, like thinking that maybe I would just turn into a slob who laid on the couch. I don't know. Like I didn't, I didn't know, but I just decided like the way of life that I was living wasn't enough. And what I found was I did the exact same thing, but it was completely different perspective. It didn't feel the same because it was so different, but to the outside eye, it was exactly the same. But all I can say was there was a heaviness to what I did before, a guilt and a shame that was inside of me and it was so deep in me that I really did question how, like I didn't understand the purpose or how that I could love myself. 
But when I quit health, I started to recognize that I had a greater purpose than living for health. And I think that's the point of this whole podcast. It's what I do, right? It's my passion is to recognize like your life is worth so much more than chasing health. Like that is not the purpose of anyone's life. And I hate that it's come to that, but it's using your health to live your life. So now my life looks potentially pretty similar to how it used to, but I feel incredibly different because I see life in a bigger way. It's not just about me, but I see everything around me. Like it's not this egotistical, like I have to self-protect and I have to get people to notice me and, you know, this trap of self-comparison. Don't get me wrong. Like I still struggle with all of those things, but it's, it's different now because I know who I am. I know whose I am. And I know that I have a greater purpose here. I can live my life. Now, the whole identity thing of like just doing the things because of the right things to do, that took a little bit longer to build, like recognizing that my diet didn't make or break me. (laughs) I mean, yes, it changes your health, but it doesn't change who you are as a person. And and that's, that's different. But now I can use it to to make me feel physically better, right? To give me the energy so that I can do the things that I really want to do. But again, it, it it's so like, I think what's hard about a lot of the really healthy things that we have to get ourselves into and understand is that there's a literally no show to this. It's all inside of you. And it will show when you do the work, but it's not something that you can calculate <laughs> on a scale or through a series of numbers. It's like literally this internal work that is so powerful and it's so meaningful and and trusting the process that when you do that work, it really will pay off in the way that you live. Like even though my life looks the same to the human eye, I am a completely different person, I think. (laughs) Anyways, can you agree to that? Can you attest? Yeah. Uh, of course I'll agree with you. <laughs> um, but what are some examples of some ways that maybe you feel differently, even though you're doing the same things, which I can attest to. I mean, you're, we ha- it's not like you've made this drastic shift when you quit health and you just completely changed all of these things that you were doing. Like I, I can attest to that cause I, I live with it on a daily basis, but your, demeanor and your attitude and your um overall like confidence and self self-worth mm-hmm. like all of those things have drastically changed. So what are some of the things that you have recognized as like a positive outcome from changing that? Cuz it's it's not like again, it's not like you're changing what you've done. It's you're changing the perspective of why you're doing those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think it goes back to like a scarcity slash kind of abundance mindset. And what I mean by that is like, I mean, I think when we look at like the scarcity versus this abundant mindset, I think it it really connects the body, the physical body to the mind and the soul. And I once heard kind of this, this analogy that I think is a really great understanding of this. Like when you're living in scarcity, when you're trying to protect and trying to protect your identity and you're trying to become something like in my former way of life of health, that looks very similar to my way of life now. 
It was always a conditional thing. And it was always in, in, in response to how I could better myself, like in the purpose of like how I could boost myself. I thought I loved myself, but really, I really did hate myself. And I was just trying to achieve a state to get there. And it left me almost creating this idol of myself. And I think that I attribute that partially to the scarcity mindset that I have, which leads you to like close your hand. So the analogy that I have, what was the analogy about the open hand, closed hand? Oh, like, okay. So they were using money as an example. And they said like, open your hand and like lay $10 in it. And if you close your hand around that $10, there's no more money that can be laid in your hand, right? So it's like almost like, okay, you got it. And now you're going to protect it with all that you have. You're not going to let it go. But when you don't allow things to go to be used to help other people, you also prevent other things from coming into your life. But you build these walls of self-protection that just become so selfish that you can't see and help other people around you. And likewise, you can't better yourself in the process of that. So their thing was like, you have to have an open hand. You have to like understand that when you have an open hand, things can be given to you, but they also are expected to go through you. So it's not like this, I have to hold on to and capture and store and hoard and conserve everything that I get. Because when you do that, you miss out on so much of life. And you really start to build yourself these walls and you almost become like, again, like that self-worshipping kind of thing because you have to. That's what you believe to survive. Now, biologically speaking, the the scarcity mentality is a threat to our system. Like whenever we have thoughts of scarcity, what we're reminding our body is that things are scarce. And when things are scarce, that becomes a threat and that completely changes the response inside your system. It changes your hormonal flow, which is going to change how your cells respond. It's going to change your mindset patterns. And all the loops basically turn into the stress response. Over time, that stress turns into survival and it can turn into complacency. And it really just spirals out of control from there. And you get to this place where your body, instead of living life and having energy and abundance that you can go and do things, you start to store, hoard, and conserve energy and you get exhausted. You start storing weight. You feel overwhelmed. Life feels hectic. You start to see excessive threats. I mean, if we look at the world today, (laughs) this is what most people are plagued with. We have this scarcity mindset. And then we almost create this body war. And that's where I was living in of like, I hated what I was living in but I didn't trust my body. I had so many barriers up and I was just going to fight it. Like I was going to beat it into submission. And that was my former life, my former before I quit health life. It wasn't until I started to recognize, like when I quit health, what I wanted to quit was the scarcity idea. The idea that all of life was against me, not even my body was against me. And I wanted to see things in a new way. I wanted to open my hand and to recognize that there was no purpose and capturing energy and just keeping it for myself because we're interdependent on other people. We are supposed to give to other people. Like we are not supposed to live independent lives. No matter how many self-help books tell you, it is not our intended design. And even when you get into the research, it proves this. Independence is not a, a form of longevity. Longevity is connections. Like the more connected people are, the more purpose they have, the longer they live and the healthier that they live. There's plenty of longevity studies to prove that one of the leading forms or one of the leading predictors of longevity is connectivity. And 
So when I started to change, it was like this recognition that I didn't have to be so, like things didn't have to be so scarce. I could let go of me creating my own threats in my life. like, And that was really just shifting my mindset from trying to achieve a place, trying to chase a place and just letting myself live it. Like just to take what I have and to grow and to learn and to live it in every day. And there's like that abundance to that of like, you have the energy you need, but if you refuse to give it to the world, if you refuse to use it to live your purpose, you're just going to spiral yourself into this place of survival and scarcity, which is going to do nothing for your body biologically. But if you can recognize that the purpose of health is to live your life, it really does fuel you in so many ways, which changes everything about who you are and how you show up and respond to the world around you. It breaks down the idol of self And it goes back to what Timothy Keller said of like, you no longer have to think less of yourself or more of yourself, but you literally can just get to the place where you think of yourself less. (laughs) And that's the goal. We think of ourselves less, not because we don't like ourselves, but because we feel so fulfilled in what we are and who we were called to be and who made us that we don't have to fret there. Like we don't have to continuously spiral there and fill our identity with all these things that really never will satisfy you. They'll just eventually wreck you or own you. And you get to live free, truly free. All that to say, I feel like this is a really simple process, but you have to get to maybe a little bit deeper place in order for it to become simple. Yeah. Yeah. The good news is, is we're going to work on this all summer long. And I'm not going to break it down in that kind of way, but we're really going to break down what identity are you living out of? How do you build a better story? And really start to do the things, do most of the things in life just because you should, because you desire it, not because it makes or breaks who you are. How do you feel about that? I think it sounds great. (laughs) I really need to flesh out this message more though. After I like spoke on here and step off my soapbox, I'm like, hmm. Sometimes I always start, this is where I get, right? When I'm like, oh my gosh, I just talk and I don't feel like, I feel like I just talk in circles and no one gets me. These are where my mindset loops still want to go. But that's just too much of a focus on, on myself. In what way? In my insecurity of she might not actually have any idea of what she's talking about. Oh. Well, I will call you out, you though, might... because uh, you never really did answer my last question. Okay, what was that? I asked you, in what way did you go through that process of like recognizing, when you say you quit health, like what were those, what was that process for you to go from where you were to where you are today? Like what were some of those mindset changes that you actually went through? Um, I think it was first and foremost, I really just wanted to stop living my life and doing the things I hated. Like I think life is too short to continuously do things that you hate. So like, for instance, I had developed this belief that I needed to be a runner and that I needed to run to 
be healthy. And running was really wrecking my health. And I hated that. And, but yeah, anytime I walked, I felt guilty about it. Like I had this deep sense of shame of like, oh, now you're just a walker. And I was like, I remember at one point, I know it sounds so silly, right? But this is what I struggled with. I remember at one point telling someone that I was walking with how enjoyable it was and like how there was no time in life to do things that we hate. Like we already have to do enough things that are hard. Like why do we why do we force ourselves to do more things that we hate to just create a miserable life because we think that's going to ultimately make us happy? <laughs> and I think a lot of us do this. Like we have these like laundry list of things that we need to do that we don't like any of them. But we think eventually if we do them, that it's going to make us like our life. And so she was kind of giggling and she's kind of like a deep friend that I can talk really deep things about. And she kind of challenged me of like, so why are you doing it? Like, if you hate it, then stop doing it. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. It's so like stupid, simple, right? Stop doing it. And I stopped doing it and I found a deep love um, for walking. I'm I'm truly a walker. I like to think of myself as a power walker. Um, Peyton can't keep up with me. I can. You can. I can. You can. Yes. But I like to walk fast. Uh, it has to have a purpose still. Um, but that was just like one mindset shift for me is like that didn't need to define me. Like there was no value in calling me a runner. Like who cares? Like who cared? At the end of the day, how did that benefit the world around me? It didn't. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be a runner. I'm just saying like identifying with things like that it, to me is just, it's silly. Like it it can be a deep spiral of unnecessary things that we don't need to put so much energy and attention into. And I think I started to do that with other things that I was doing too, of like, how were the things that I was doing impacting how I felt about who I was? And was I doing them to try and get attention or to try and make myself feel good or try to mask some kind of shame and guilt and really just dealing with the guilt and shame of myself. But I also think one of the big turning points for me happened in therapy when I was doing all of this work on my past and I kept thinking to myself, and I remember vividly asking her one day, I have done all of the work, all of the things you've told me to, and yet my past is still there. And it was like, as if I thought I could somehow escape the things that I hated. And, and she basically told me, well, that's an impossible task because what's been done and those things that the stories that you've created will always be a chapter in your book. You can't rip those out of your book, but you can write a new chapter and you can write a new ending. And that's really what matters in the scope of your life. And that was really, really, really impactful for me. And I think hopefully for you too, because I think so often what we're trying to do is we're trying to escape the places that we hate and escape the stories that we've been told or the stories that we've lived. Like the past is factual. We we cannot go back and change that, but we don't have to let it continue to be our story but you will as long as you try to escape it. And it wasn't until I almost accepted the reality that there were things that I hated, but it wasn't about escaping them. It was about using them to grow and to live. And so I feel like a lot changed for me when I recognized what I was trying to run from or what I was trying to use all these things to escape. And I started to recognize like, okay, none of that is going to work. But 
I can recognize and acknowledge those places. And then I can say like, okay, but what will help? How can I live now? What can I tell myself? What story needs to be adjusted? Adjusted. What truth needs to come in to almost recreate, to start a new chapter that I can move forward in? And I mean, it's it's human nature to want to prevent pain, to try to escape it. It's a safety mechanism. And I think it's one of God's greatest gifts for us is to um, help us prevent pain, to uh, escape it. But it's always there, which is also a gift God gave us because then it allows us, even if we're not conscious of it, we work to try to avoid the things that were once painful. But there becomes a time in all of us that where we recognize, well, that is truly a gift. What also is a gift is our ability to change the story of pain because of him and to change the story of suffering because of him so that we don't have to try to suppress it or escape it or try to rip it out of our book, but we can use his story to change our story and move forward in it. And and there's a lot of research on pain that's coming out that says like, okay, the people who experience the deepest pain actually experience the greatest fulfillment. And it's not to say that we should all walk ourselves into pain, but human nature is pain. Suffering is human. <laughs> like we all were going to go through it. It's what we do with it that truly changes who we are and how we live. And I think we have to recognize that we're stronger than we realize. But when we start to learn to sit in discomfort and sit in hard things and do hard things, they're not there to break us down, but to build us up. And we can start to take our story in the places that we hate and shift them, not escape them. And I think I go back to what you talked about and what you read out of the planner. And I think this is like one of those key like action points that people can take out of this as we finish up here where you said you can like yourself while still mm-hmm. wishing for something better. I mean, I think that is one of those things, like if you need to pull your car over and write that down as you're listening to this, like that's one of those key things I feel like out of all of this discussion that you just ponder that statement that, you know, if you're doing something right now that you're kind of figuring out is out of self-hate, um, you can still like yourself. And you can still wish for something better. Those two don't have to be mutually exclusive statements. It's not like you can only do one of them at a time. But even in the midst of change, you can like yourself while you're wishing Mm -hmm. for something better. And I think that is kind of a great question for you maybe to ask yourself to say like, what is something that I wish was better? Like, what are those things that I hate? What are the parts of me? What are the things that I do that I hate? Understand what those are. Strive for something better while understanding that you can like yourself in the process Mm -hmm. of that change. Like for you, it wasn't something where you just woke up one day and you're like, I'm going to quit health and I'm going to continue to do these things and I'm just going to have a different perspective and my life's going to completely change. Like that's not how it works. It's having that understanding that in the midst of changing, that you can still Mm -hmm. like yourself in the process. And I think that's where you like yourself the most is not trying to arrive at a place where you feel like you have nothing to hate. (laughs) 
It's recognizing our humanity, our sinfulness, our fallenness, and seeing our dependence on something greater. And I think at the end of the planner, I say here, so what can you do? You can linger a little longer in a conversation, hold the door for a stranger, say something positive about your reflection staring back at you. There are a million little ways to own who you are, but liking yourself begins by showing up for yourself. Even if you're not where you want to be, hate will never get you there, only love. And I put in the like lingering a little longer in a conversation, uh, holding the door for a stranger. I think really liking yourself at the end of the day is owning this interdependence, the dependence on God and the interdependence with other people. It's to see outside of yourself, to see that there is something bigger going on in this earth than just you, to stop being the center of your universe because that's only amplifying your self-hate. Creating a self-idol is not fulfilling, no matter how much we believe it is. But I also do not want us to confuse the self-idolization and self-love as selfish, because self-love is not a self does not necessarily mean you're a self-idol. In fact, I think self-idolization and kind of worshiping yourself, uh, putting yourself on a pedestal, being infatuated with yourself is not self-love at all. It's it's trying to mask self-hate with all of those things, trying to make yourself believe that you are love. But I think when you really love yourself, you're doing it from a place where it is the interdependence in life, where you are recognizing that the love is not for yourself, but it's to be given. And that means you can change the way that you interact with other people. You can change how you live in the world. You do change how you show up. You do care about other people, not more than yourselves, but you can do it in a way that you can give love without feeling like you have to get something back because you already have what you need. This is too deep. We're going to talk more about this this summer, and that is not like Really, what I thought today was going to be, I actually had this whole story about how I read this book and I was questioning, do I even like myself? We're not going to get into all of that because we'll do it probably in the next podcast. But Peyton, what do you have to say? I think that although, yes, this kind of seems like a heady, deep conversation, at the end of the day, I think just reevaluating those things that you hate whether it's something you do or something about yourself and just try to figure out like what, what is it that you can do mm-hmm. to change your perspective of that and, and start to enjoy that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited to hear how this helps people, um, you know, just change their perspective on things. So if that's you and you listen to this and um, you start to, you start to have that perspective mm-hmm. change, let us know. Um, we'll be curious to hear how this lands with you. He really wants you to do that because he knows as soon as I hit end on this podcast, I'm going to come upstairs. I'm going to question everything that I said. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll be like, maybe that didn't help them. Maybe that just confused them. Oh my gosh, am I leading them astray? This is what I go through, especially after I get off these deep conversations. So he really wants you to give me some kind of self-assurance that maybe this was helpful in some way, because otherwise he's going to have to do that for the next 30 days. And that's really hard for him. (laughs) We'll let you know. We'll let you know back in. (laughs) We'll let you know in May when we talk about how to become happier. Right. 
And like all things, this is a process. It's never about becoming. It's just literally doing it every single day. It's waking up and choosing it. Okay. That's it. Make sure you get on your email, my email list, because I'm going to be talking more about the summer series, more about understanding this whole identity concept. And stay tuned because if you want to learn more about the woman at the well, I mentioned it pre- uh, briefly, but we're going to be talking a lot more about that and dealing with shame coming up in the next few podcasts. But next week, we have a health podcast all about adrenaline dominance. And it's pretty fascinating. Stay tuned for that. And again, if you want to get on my email list, head on over to thelivingwell.com to get on the weekly fill. It's pretty good, right? Yes. I will say if you enjoyed this podcast, you will enjoy the emails even more. All right. That is it for today. I'm going to explain more over in a blog post on how to love yourself. I will see you back here next week. Bye. See ya. See ya.